Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, June 11, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's been a pretty slow week in college basketball. Exactly zero icons have announced their retirement plans. No assistants have been named. Their school's coach in waiting. But I did talk to Texas coach Chris Beard earlier in the week, so let's talk about that. Deadleg, let me start by asking you this. Most seem to believe that Chris Beard will, in the long term, and perhaps in the short term as well, but certainly in the long term, prove to be the best hire from 2021. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't know if he'll have... I don't, I, not, not, not explicitly. So I think that he's got a really good shot at being very successful. I think his odds are probably the best, but I also think the nature of the job he's taking and the league he's taking it in, uh, even if Kansas gets, you know, dialed back here more than a few notches for a few years, it's still going to be Kansas. Bill Self has uh, an ideal contract situation going forward. So he would not be my pick he would not be my most likely pick to do the best job at this school for the long term. I think he has to objectively be in like the top three of that conversation. Hell, he might be your number one. That's part of why you you spoke with him to begin with. But he would not be my pick to be the most successful at this school among the hires uh, at power conferences in this cycle. Then who would be? Okay. I will go with Craig Smith because I think Craig Smith has the best chance at both having success – and staying at that school, not that Chris Beard won't ever, like, if you told me Chris Beard was at Texas for the next 20 years and won a national championship, of course I could foresee that happening. But to me, Craig Smith has been really good at South Dakota, Utah State. Now he's going to go to Utah, and I think this is a situation, I you know, we're all just shooting darts here, but I think that is the most likely spot for a coach to have long-term success at that school. Chris Beard might be so good that he leaves Texas. So I'm trying to, you know maybe twist your proposition just a little bit. And I think that the long-term best hire at a power conference school will be Craig Smith at Utah, but I would have Beard not too far behind. I think it's just a little more difficult navigating the Big 12. Being in the same league as Mick Cronin in UCLA is is not as difficult as the Big 12? Listen, I, I took this under consideration. I did. I did. But... I mean, who's to say, you know, Mick could, Mick could wind up coaching the Lakers in three years. So anything's possible there. So I did take well, that. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I would also say, like, where, does, where do you go if you're Chris Beard from Texas other than the NBA? I, I, could, I could see the NBA. You know, I, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. When I would talk to NBA people who would r- bounce around, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, to practices and workouts and like coaches running practices, who impresses you the most? Like there was a time where it was like Tony Bennett, Jay Wright, and those guys still are 
undeniably on that list. But the name I started hearing as much as any other in recent years was Chris Beard. I, I could see the NBA, but I don't think he leaves Texas for another college job. Like, why would what what job would Chris Beard want more than the Texas job? Okay, well, given, let's, let's given given who he is. All right, so in in throwing this out there. Would we have been asking the same question to ourselves with Shaka Smart five, six years ago? Sure, but I do think the context of the Shaka's departure is very important. Um, I Shaka wasn't pushed out. That's not an accurate way to 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 frame it. But like it was, it was. You want to go now and take this really good job at a really good league in your home state. Or do you want to come back and be the face of every hot seat list next season? And if you don't live up to expectations then, then it's time to go. Shaka left not for a better job, but for a um, a, a situation with less immediate pressure. For sure. Um, I, I think things can change more quickly in college athletics from a coaching perspective now than ever before. And it's always, you know, for the past, you know, couple generations, it's been a, a relatively volatile profession here. I, if Chris Beard has real success at Texas over the next five years and we look up in five years or six years and John Calipari wants to step down at Kentucky and uh, enjoy a retirement even before uh, he hits the age of Mike Krzyzewski, Oh, you better believe I think that Kentucky will throw everything imaginable at Chris Beard, and that would be something that could potentially tempt him because it is the Kentucky job. It is better than Texas. Not to say this will happen, but um, while the NBA, as you're laying out, is certainly uh, something that could be in the future that could pull him away from Texas, I'm not I'm not eliminating a Kentucky-type scenario, and I'm also not eliminating you know, that he's good, not great, and maybe he's there 10 years and then... A change happens. You know, these things are very, very hard to predict. But who he is, obviously, from that area, he, what he's accomplished to this point, quite clearly, as your columns sets up, like, he, he is set up for some real ideal success there. This is an ideal marriage between coach and university, uh, particularly that university. And, uh, yeah, he's set up to, uh, to thrive big time going forward. Right. I'm hesitant to call anything a sure thing mm -hmm. other than Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Rick Pitino, John Calipari. Like, those are four people who've worked in college athletics for an extended period of time and proven capable of winning basically anywhere. Um, you know, so th those are sure things. Like, if somebody else hired John Calipari tomorrow for whatever reason, I would assume he's going to be great. Um, same thing with Rick Pitino. Nick Saban, Urban Meyer. Um, so I, I'm not comfortable saying that about anybody else. I've been wrong before, but man, this is about as close to a sure thing, I think, as you can get if you're still trying to stop short of calling it a sure thing. Uh, the guys had two previous Division One jobs and did literally unprecedented things at both of them. At Little Rock, he takes over a program that went 13 and 18 in flips it into a 30-win season, wins more games in that season than literally any Sunbelt coach in the history of a Sunbelt season. So unprecedented things. Then he goes to Texas Tech, in year two becomes the first coach ever to take him to an Elite Eight, and in year three becomes the first coach ever to take him to a Final Four, and then a national championship game. So um, obviously unprecedented stuff at Texas. The, the bar's a little higher than it was at those or, – or a lot higher than it was at those previous places, but – they gave him all the money in the world to spend on his staff. Um, they, they are moving into a brand new 
roughly $400 million arena um, that's set to open next April. So they've got one more season at the Irwin Center, and then they will move into this new place, which, by the way, as I was looking into it, I just thought this was interesting, and it's sort of the way I believe this is going to go in the future. Mm -hmm. I think Irwin Center is like 17,000 capacity. Let me guess. Can I guess? Yeah. I'm going to say, which, by the way, the Irwin Center is too big. Just way too big. Um, I'll say 11.5. 10. 10. 10. 10. With, the, with the capability of expanding to 15 for big games. So, like, if they are... How so? I mean, I, I, I don't know the it details. Just, I'm, well, I'm, hold on. I'm, that's, 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 that's a significant... Going from 10 to 15, like, we can add 5,000 more people for a big game? Yeah, I mean, they, they, I'm assuming they're going to be tarping off like an upper deck, and you can you can take that tarp off of it if you want it. Hmm. But but for normal games, they will be. My understanding is selling. You know, they're going to try to sell ten thousand season tickets. Okay, and so and put in. You know, for a for a Texas uh, Iowa State game, that's probably that's going to be a ten thousand attendance game, but. If you've got, I don't know, SEC Big 12 Challenge, whatever that thing's called, and you've got Kentucky coming in, all right, now we're going to do 15000 for this, and we can sell the, the 5000 extra tickets. So hmm. I thought that was interesting, and it's something I totally agree with. Like, smaller building, make it, make it packed, you know? Like, some of the best college environments we got right now are small buildings, Cameron Indoor, the Kennel. Um, the place they built down in Ole Miss a few years ago, which is beautiful. You know, it's a smaller building. And so... Gantle's relatively small up at UConn, too. It's actually, it's, it probably blends both. I'm wondering if this... It's old, but yes. You, get, you want them on top. You Get the fans on top. Of the Really get an intimidating environment, you know, and that'll uh, that'll advance the cause. This is a smart thing for Texas, for sure. In terms of uh, downsizing the size of its arena, that thing is too big. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, he's, they gave him all the resources he needed, and and they're moving into a new building. The you know the the, the recruiting base is awesome, given the amount of players in Texas. Like, again, I've been wrong before. Nothing's guaranteed, but boy, I, I'd bet on this going really, really well. When I talked to Chris, you know, about you know a what they're giving him, which is you know I think it was seven years, thirty five million. You know, they paid their coach. And that's why when you say, like, I could see Kentucky coming in and, like, throwing – yeah, Texas can match anything. Nobody can outspend Texas if they want to. So they gave him money. They let him spend on his staff. Brand-new arena set to open in advance of next season. Um, you know, when I talked to Chris about it, he said – you know, obviously he was real appreciative, but he was like, you know, when we talked about it, you know, th this, this was a factor. Like, if we're going to do this thing, let's do it right. You know, let's let's if I want to hire Rodney Terry and Chris Ogden and, and ask them to resign their division one jobs, like let's let's do this. Let's do it right. And they have given him, as far as I can tell, literally everything he's asked for. And he is set up to win and he knows that. He, in fact, he said, you know, when you get an administration that's willing to invest this way, now it's our job to deliver. We're not here to finish second, mm -hmm. second place. You know, he didn't say this exactly, but you know, he has finished second before to Virginia in overtime of a national title game. That's not the goal to go to a final four, to finish second. The goal is clearly to win uh, a national championship. What was interesting when I was talking to him is we were going through, you know, 
the, the, the coaching carousel process. And he's, you know, he, he acknowledged to me that he thought he had earned the right to listen to some situations and that he might listen to some situations at the appropriate time. But he said he honestly didn't think the Texas job would open because first off, he and Shaka are, are friends. He like went way out of his way to talk about how great Shaka has been through the transition. Like he still talks to Shaka, you know, and, and Shaka, he talked to Shaka on the day of the press conference. Mm. Uh, he's, he's kept in touch. He's kept in touch with Shaka throughout this whole time. And said Shaka has been terrific. And he said, listen, 19 days before I took the job, they won the big 12 tournament. Like, why is that job going to open? Right. And it, it, it just, and then three you know, seed, what happened? Whole deal. Yeah. They were a three yeah. seed. Yeah. The whole deal. Yeah. yeah. They were a three seed and just won the big 12 tournament. Like, you know, he's like that. My eyes are not on the Texas job, but then, for people who didn't follow it closely, Texas loses to Abilene Christian. Whatever to whatever degree Shaka's seat had cooled, it had now heated back up. The fans had soured on him again, and really, I, I didn't get the time frame. Um, I didn't remember the time frame until I went and looked it up the other day. Steve Wojciechowski got fired on a Friday. Shaka lost to Abilene Christian on a Saturday. It all happened in roughly a twenty-four hour and period. And Porter Moser didn't lose. And Loyola got to the second weekend. I think that also played a – and Shaka might not have got it, period, but I maintain that if Loyola had not made the second weekend, that job search would have been very, very interesting. Perhaps. And so Shaka decides, all right, I don't want to come back and be on the hot seat. I got it. This is a good job in a good league for good money. And um, in my home state, I'm going to take Marquette. And then Texas opens. And then it was just uh, – it was obvious who the the, the – the target was going to be. And though there was a push by some Texas alums, most notably Kevin Durant to, to try to hire um, Royal Ivy. Um, ultimately the job comes to Chris Beard. And Chris also said that he spent a lot of time over the past 10 weeks, like connecting with Kevin Durant, connecting with LaMarcus Aldridge, connecting with TJ Ford. Like he said, he still will just randomly in the playoffs, get a text message from Kevin Durant. Like, so he's, he's, you know, Kevin Durant wanted his friend to be the head coach. Texas went another direction, and people wondered, like, well, what is that going to do to the relationship between Texas and KD? Apparently nothing, because Chris has gone out of his way um, to make that right. And, oh, also, he's met and talked with Rick Barnes. Like, he said one of his real priorities is trying to bring Texas basketball from all eras together under one umbrella to try to move this thing where they're trying to move it. It's one of the reasons he wanted to bring back Rodney Terry and Chris Ogden, people who have worked on that campus before. It's one of the reasons he's made a point to, you know, uh, have a good relationship, even under these circumstances with Shaka Smart, to reach out to Rick Barnes. And so he's really spent these 10 weeks trying to develop the culture that, that he wants to develop and obviously working the transfer market and um, the, the recruiting trail to create a team that I do have in the preseason top 25 and one I've got Texas 23rd. So do you think Texas? Okay. Long-term you went Craig Smith. I would go Chris Beard, but you may, you make a reasonable argument. Um, what about next season? What first year coach at a new school? has the best season next season. Okay. I would lean. All right. Power conference. I'm leaning beard here, but before I continue, do you have anyone ranked higher than Texas that is going to have a new coach next season? I do. Who do you have? 
North Carolina, number 18. Okay, so uh, and we'll get to that in a second. So you've got Hubert Davis potentially having a better season than, te- than Texas. 18 versus 23, by the way, can be relatively negligible, but sure. we'll see. But for the purposes of what we're doing here, you you know, you know, you take this up very literally. You think North Carolina will be a better team than Texas next season. Beard would be my pick, but before I get to him, you the key words there are new school. The coach that I think is going to have the best season next year, new coach is Drew Valentine at Loyola because he brings back everyone except Cameron Crutwig. He and he's That's, he's got a he's got a wonderful chance to just immediately just continue ascending there and if you wanted to eliminate that i just wanted to give a quick shout i know that, that that's that's what and, and he would qualify under what i'm trying to okay. say even if i didn't technically say it that way i know he's at the same school but first it's it's his first year as the head coach at a school he is a, a good choice that i did not that i overlooked well no it's also mid-major so i kind of kind of split it into both i think drew valentine has a he has certainly has the he has the best chance to have the best record of any coach of the 60, by the way, that were hired to new positions in this cycle. But I will give a shout to who? Mike Jones, UNC Greensboro from via Radford. He has a 174 and 150 career record since 2011. Did a really good job at Radford. Uh, that is totally new coach at new school, mid-major version. Mike Jones would be my pick. Wanted to give a little bit of mid-major love. But at the power conference level, I do think it's going to be Beard. I would pick him. I think that Texas will be better than Carolina next season. Someone hold me to this. If for whatever reason I have those schools flipped whenever i got to do my master rankings when we get to the preseason. Here's the, the roster situation, just a, as a quick refresher with Texas. Um, uh, Andrew Jones will be back. You'll bring in Timmy Allen from Utah, who I think can be really, really good. Uh, Christian Bishop. Devin Askew from Kentucky. I think he'll actually do, do better at Texas than he did at UK. Avery Benson's coming uh, by way of Texas Tech. Just a, like a, a, a classic kind of glue guy there. They are losing a lot, but I do trust the overall roster they'll have there and what Beard is capable of. So give me him next season. Give me Texas, the most immediately impactful and successful coach at the power conference level. I would pick Beard at UT uh, over Hubert Davis, who's just never been a head coach yet, inheriting a, a very solid situation, obviously, at UNC. Devin Askew should be awesome. Kentucky transfers are always awesome. Kyle Wilcher, Johnny Juzang, Devin Askew, mm. first team All American. Ah, uh, okay, that's that's a little aggressive. <laughs> no, I, I, I just so nobody takes it because sometimes, lots of times, people will transcribe this podcast oh, and yeah. they'll like create headlines off of it. And so I, I do not want a headline that says Gary Parrish said <laughs> Devin Askew will be a first team All American. I'm joking. I don't know what Devin Askew will look like, but remember, he was a reclass who played at yes. Kentucky last season. And so he probably will benefit from, undeniably will benefit from another year of college. He'll be better, I would assume. How much better, I'm not sure, but but I would assume Devin Askew uh, will be better at Texas. And, and, and that means Chris Beard's got a roster that, you know, probably isn't as good as Kansas's roster or, or Baylor's roster, but a roster that's going to allow him to compete um, at or near the top of the Big 12 in his first year in Austin. One more thing specifically on him. I asked him this question, and I wasn't surprised that he sidestepped it a bit, because what are you going to say? How do you think he will be treated, greeted, when he goes back to Lubbock? (sighs) Because it's interesting. I was trying to think of other coaches who were at jobs and, like, you know, went to a title game and they're not at like some mid-major, but like they're at a real program where you can do real things and then left. 
And the obvious one is John Calipari. And Memphis fans still to this day, John's been gone more than a decade. Memphis fans hate him to this day. The president of the university tried to bring John back to honor him. And the backlash was so intense that he had to cancel, cancel the thing. He had to pick up the phone, call John Calipari and say, John, we can't do this. And if you, if you, if you uh, go back and watch John's hall of fame thing, he goes out of his way to think a lot of people and doesn't really really. think too many people at Memphis Mm. at all. Cause this happened right after that. Right, right, right. So, the interesting thing, and I actually talked to Chris Beard about this, like John Lee's for Kentucky and Memphis fans hate him. Irrationally, by the way, Memphis, Memphis, he's the greatest coach in Memphis basketball history. He should be, a, he, he guided that program to the best years it has ever had. He should be appreciated for the nine years he spent at Memphis as opposed to hated for leaving for undeniably a better job. But the interesting thing there is John doesn't have to come back to FedEx Forum and play Memphis. Like, he just never has to – like, if you ever met him in an NCAA tournament, you know, then that's that. And he did have to come back to FedEx Forum and play in the NCAA tournament when he had you know, whatever year it was with, with Dan Fox. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but but he didn't have to play – if he never wants to play the Tigers in FedEx Forum, he never has to play the Tigers in FedEx Forum. Chris is not that fortunate. He's got to go back to Lubbock next season. And so every I asked season. him how – Every season. And so I asked him, how do you think that's going to go? Because any rational person should be able to look at this rationally and say, that guy accomplished things here that had never been accomplished by anybody else. He was here five years and, and also was here as an assistant for like a decade. Like he spent 15 years of his life here and was offered a better job and took it. You can't really blame him. But fans don't look at things rationally. So I asked him, how do you think it's going to go when you go back? And he said, you know, I haven't really thought about that at all, you know, and, and then just sort of wandered from there. But how do you think it goes? Is it ugly or, or mixed? It is. Because there's no way, there's no way it's 100% positive. So mi- is it ugly or mixed? It's, I think by the time we get there, it will be mixed. There's a lot of angry Texas Tech fans over this. And part of this is, you know, because Beard gave so much of himself to that program and that university. He made Texas Tech as interesting uh, a draw as it could really ever imaginably be. Like, I'm sure Mark Adams has a really good shot at having some real success there and in many ways was credited uh, as being a crucial part of getting Beard to the level he was at for what he was able to do as a defensive tactician. But if we are being completely honest, there is a very good chance that... You and I uh, live and die, and Texas Tech is never as just generally in. Like, Texas Tech getting back to a national championship game in the next 40 years? Come on now. Is it possible? Yeah. Are we banking on that? Come on now. I'll I'll say no. No. Come on. Texas Tech men's basketball. Well, it didn't go for the previous 40 years until Chris took it there. And you're right. There are some angry Texas Tech fans. Like I've got them in my mentions. Like you know, GP Chris Beard never did anything without Mark Adams. I'm like, all right, slow down, okay, <laughs> slow, stop. I mean, that, but, that uh, would be a plot twist. If we look up in two years and Texas Tech has won a league title and 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 Beard's finishing like fourth and seventh, okay, then we're gonna have some stuff to talk about. Like, that, yeah, but but for, let, let's let's wait a minute on that one. Uh, but the Texas Tech job, despite what Chris did there is a hard job. It is historically a very difficult job. Like there's a reason a few years ago, 
The Texas Tech coach left for Memphis. Same money on the table. Just said the Memphis job is easier than the Texas Tech job because the Texas Tech job is hard. So Chris made it look not as hard and did unbelievable things there. But, and I say this with, with all due respect to Mark, but like getting back to a national title game, I'd be shocked. Yes, for sure. For sure. So I, I do think that the, the reaction is going to be mixed and it will probably be perma-mixed because there are some people that are just not going to get – because, again, he's in the state. He's in the conference. you got to face him twice a year. He's at the better university with so many more advantages and so much more you know, internal built-in infrastructure to allow him to, to succeed. And if he does what we think he's going to do, um, if we're being I, – I, Fans normally, like Memphis fans, you said, have never gotten over this, right? So The majority. Yes. So the enmity of this is not going to dissipate for Texas Tech fans for the most part. As long as Chris Beard is having success uh, at Texas, if that does happen, even if Texas Tech has some of the success of its own, then you're going to have a significant portion of that fan base that's always just going to have that bitter taste on its tongue. So there's one more thing I want to talk about. Um, in this very, very off-season episode of the Ion College Basketball Podcast that we can tie to, to Chris Beer. Um, he's obviously never won a national title, but he clearly should have a chance to do it at Texas, given all of the given his reputation, accomplishments, and all the resources available to him. So here's a question. What's a decent list of coaches without national titles who could become coaches with national titles? We're going to pop through some names next, but first check this out so Chris Beard has never won a national title but he obviously should have a chance at Texas given what he's already accomplished and the resources available to him so the question is this he's on it but who else is on a list of coaches without national titles who could become a coach with a national title let's say in the next decade oh or 20 years it doesn't matter to me 20 let's go 20 let's go 20 because I, I, I tried to spice up this my answers here. So first of all, I'm not putting Mark Few on my list because he just goes without saying. So I, I assume you have Mark Few on your list. Well, of course. I mean, I but mean, he's I, such an obvious candidate that I was like, nah, it's too boring. Like, we acknowledge that existence without even having to put him on the list. So I didn't even include Like, there's him. no way. He's got to be – he's not only on the list, he's got to be at the top of Correct. the list, considering he's got the preseason number yes. one team in the country. He's the number one choice on the list. I just – I removed him. So I, I tried to pick – Five coaches uh, and didn't want to pick them all in current, like, power conference. Like, I tried to forecast a couple of younger coaches I think actually have the goods to eventually, like, we'll talk about them in seven or eight years and say, you know what, they're on their way. Um, So having said that, I'll get to those guys last. Uh, I think... I think we'll have two of the same five. Uh, So you have few as one of your five. I mean, I've got, I've just got a list broken down here in categories. It's not necessarily five. Oh, oh you got more. Okay. So I got five. Okay. I just, I just went through, found some names for different reasons. I'll explain them when it's time to explain. You want me just to roll off my five here? Sure. Okay. Um, This is in no particular order, uh, but number one, I have Chris Mack, who uh, in in his early fifties, sure Louisville could have some setbacks here in the next year or two, but if Chris Mack is at Louisville for... 13 or 14 more years, if he is there, then I think he'll have a very good shot at winning a national title because Louisville is a top 10 program in America, and I think he uh, has a chance at winning a national championship. I would say the 
forecast on him doing that now is maybe not quite as good as it was when it was hired. And I also do remember us talking about this on the podcast where we basically asked ourselves, with the situation Mac had at Xavier and the success he had and the situation he's going to walk in at Louisville, like might he have less at Louisville and Xavier? I still think that's possible, but nonetheless, I want to give him his due as a really good coach. I think he's got a shot. Another name that I know you will have on your list that I put on mine, it's similar to the Beard thing in terms of like he's not been a long-time head coach, but the returns are so good so fast that you have to put him here. Who am I talking about? Eric Musselman? No, Nate Oates. I've got Nate Oates on my list too. For sure. So Nate Oates, uh, Nate Oates has been a head coach at the D1 level for six seasons. Uh, four at Buffalo. He made the NCAA tournament three times. And then he just obviously got Bama to uh, a two-seed Sweet 16. It was actually Alabama's statistically like one of his two best seasons ever in the history of its program. He's on the list, and as I wrote last season, I do think some of his approaches to how he actually coaches and schemes for his team, while not completely groundbreaking, I do think that we will look up in five or six years and see that Nados was doing stuff in 2020 that many more coaches and programs will be doing in 2026. So that's another one. The other high uh, major coach I have on my list, you know, I put him on this list because this dude, he just does not get enough credit. He does not get the credit he's earned and deserves. Chris Holtman at Ohio State. On my list. For sure. Now, a couple reasons. One, he's obviously an extremely good coach coming off uh, one of the worst losses of his career, uh, losing as a two-seed to a 15 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Undeniably, that is, you know, that's a a big-time ding there. But in in the grand scheme of things... Holtman's been amazing. Uh, you can toss away a, fan- a fantastically terrific uh, game against Oral Roberts that went to OT and they lost. Okay, so be it. But Holtman, uh, since he got to but- he got the Butler job, by the way, unexpectedly, um, when Brandon Miller up and just left the prote- uh, profession entirely and and just disappeared forever. But Holtman got him to the tournament every year he was there a sweet 16, and then since he's got to Ohio State, they've made the tournament every year, and they would have been a, a projected five seed in the in the pandemic year there. So you combine that, his track record with Ohio State, he's clearly got the, uh, he's got a good chance at eventually winning a national championship. Not even just that, but I do think that whenever Cal does retire, if it's three years, six years, nine years from now, whenever that winds up being, it could, Beard certainly could be in that conversation. Holtman is from that area. He would, uh, he is, he would be trending toward being in that conversation. And I think uh, the only jobs Holtman would leave for Ohio State willingly at this point, if they opened, were the likes of, say, Duke, North Carolina, and uh, and Kentucky. I think he loves it there. The other two are younger coaches that I think will uh, track well. So Mark Pope at BYU, I think, will eventually be at – are you going to win a national championship at BYU? No. What I think is going to happen is Mark Pope is going to have another one or two really good years at BYU, and that is going to lead to him landing in a power conference where he'll have success. I would put the if he wins if you tell me he wins a national championship, I'm putting the over at at least six and a half years. But I think he's there, and then a very young coach who uh, is a bit against uh, against the grain in, in what he does, just in terms of analytic stuff. But I think that will be talk. I think he will be a prominent power conference coach a decade from now is Todd Golden at San Francisco. So I wanted to have a little bit of fun with your question there, not pick completely obvious ones to give you two, um, you know, 
guys, you know, in, in lesser leagues, if you will, but those would be my five. I have one that I want to talk about after I get your list who's from a power conference who I think is good enough to do it, but I don't know if he's ever going to do it, and I want to see if he's on your list. Who do you got? I got 10 coaches broken into three categories, and basically the three categories are coaches who are at schools that have never won a national title, but I think they can actually win this school's first national title. And then the next category is coaches who are good enough to do it at places where it has been done. And then the next category is simply a Duke, North Carolina category. I got Hubert Davis and John Shire both on the list. If only because I'm assuming anybody who competent who coaches at North Carolina or Duke will have a chance to win a national title. Well, tell that to Matt Doherty. You know what? People always like, you know, they, they I get it. I know how it went. I know how it ended. I'm not convinced Matt Doherty couldn't have won a national title at North Carolina. Uh, that's that's a hell of a take 18 years later, but okay. Good times. Roy won one with his team. Okay. I'm not, I, I'm just saying if you would have told me that Matt Doherty was going to coach North Carolina for 10 straight years, no matter what, didn't matter who, who, who he pissed off, didn't matter who he was rude to, didn't, didn't matter how much, nothing mattered. He's the coach for 10 years. I'm not convinced he couldn't have won a national title in North Carolina. All right. Fair enough. I mean, that's not an unreasonable thing to say, is it? Define unreasonable. It, was, it wasn't tracking that way. That's all I'll say. But anything's possible. He had the players to do it. He just he just didn't do it. That's, but he had the players the to do it. Therein lies the rub. But no, I, I get your point. I did not consider Shire or Hubert Davis yeah. either, just because I've never seen him coach a game yet. So yeah, I, yeah. But I understand I'm just, where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying there are going to be new coach. There are going to be. I mean, neither one of them has ever coached a game. By definition, they haven't won a national title, but they're at places where you can do it. And so, Shire, actually, Shire technically has won a national title, but just not. In that role, as, as a player and an assistant, and could someday do it as go. a head coach as well. Yep, there P- we are. Put him in the Naismith Memorial oh. Hall of Fame already. Then, oh boy, okay. So let's circle back to coaches who are at schools that have never won a national title, but but I think they're good enough to win that school's first national title. Three guys on that list: Mark Few at Gonzaga, Chris Beard at Texas, Nate Oates at Alabama. I think all, all three of them are good enough to win at those schools, even though those schools have never won national titles. And then I grabbed five coaches at schools where it has been done. So they wouldn't be the first to do it at this school. But, and, and, but I do think they can do it at this school. They're good. They're at places it's been done and they're good enough to do it. And that list, Chris Holtman at Ohio state, Ohio state won a title in 1960. Um, Chris Mack at Louisville. Louisville, of course, has won multiple titles, most recently 2013. Jawan Howard at Michigan. Michigan wins the title in 89. I think Jawan Howard's good enough to win a national title at Michigan. Eric Musselman at Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Arkansas won a title in 1994. I think Muss is good enough to win one there. And Mick Cronin (laughs) at UCLA. I considered him. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would be my list. If I had to put together 10 names people who have never won a national title that could win one before they retire. Mark Few, Chris Beard, Nate Oates, Chris Holtman, Jawan Howard, Eric Musselman, Mick Cronin, Chris Mack, Hubert Davis, John Shire. Some of it is because of how strongly I believe in the coaches. Some of it is how strongly I believe in the jobs some of those coaches currently have or will have soon. I did consider 
Cronin. Uh, almost put him on the list, and then that's when I was like, you know what, I want to, I want to try and project on some younger guys and see if uh, if if these things wind up coming true. There, um, interesting list. How about the fact that you put Howard on that list? It's obviously reasonable, and we are like two years removed from him even getting the job. It's it's amazing how fast that changed, you know, because we didn't know oh. when he got the when he got the job. And the circumstances under which he got the job, period, we just had no idea. And it's just, it's been really impressive to see how fast he's... Like, I was in favor, you can go back and check the record, I was in favor of Michigan hire Juwan Howard. Like, when we were talking about candidates, I was like, well, who who, who else are they going to hire? I'll just take Juwan Howard over whoever else is a legitimate candidate. But did I think it would go this well? No. You'd, you'd be lying. I don't think Juwan Howard knew it would go this well. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Okay. Well, uh... One thing to wrap this up, and I'll get to that coach that I mentioned because he's part of what uh, what I'm about to introduce to you here. So uh, right at the onset of the pandemic or just about last year, uh, this is from early May of 2020, I did a story on the 10 coaches, the 10 veteran coaches next in line to win their first NCAA tournament. Here are the coaches I put on it. Few, And, and I took into account what I, we thought the quality of their teams would be for the forthcoming season, which was last season, of course. So Mark Few, obviously number one. Chris Mack, I had two. Three was Scott Drew, who obviously went on to get that national championship. And now there are names here that we don't have. Uh, and I don't think that this is necessarily wrong, although I did consider the coach I have at four, or had at four. He's now 61. Bruce Pearl at Auburn. I could see that. I could see it. Took him to a Final Four. Still capable of bringing in no shortage of really good talent. Um, Yeah, I think that's still possible. We'll see. Coach I had at five was Rick Barnes, but that was under the idea that... And that's he's still there. I just think that the window is like it's got to be like the next two years if this happens. Like Tennessee's got, I think, got a pretty solid team next season. Like it's he's got to really pop there. Number six, still young, sixty-two. Dana Altman at Oregon made a Final Four. I considered him. You're dealing with Cronin, though, so it's an issue there. That's a problem. Number Not se- to mention Craig Smith. I think uh, number seven, and again, these were veteran coaches, so I, I think I had some sort of rule. I, I didn't pick anyone that was under, I didn't pick anyone under the age of Scott Drew, who was 49 going on 50. Uh, Leonard Hamilton at 71. Um, certainly, like, again, 71. He might coach till he's 80 and look 55 and be glorious while doing it, but. Uh, window clearly closing. I had Huggins at number eight. Um, I feel like if we're being fair about this, Bob Huggins not winning a national championship, right? He's. I just the, don't know that you'll, he'll ever have the roster at West yeah. Virginia to actually do it. Like, right. I know he's been to a Final Four, but <laughs> this is going to go into the category of very simple, obvious things that Parrish sometimes says. Love it. Like, uh, you know, you got to put uh, 68 teams in this bracket. Um, but uh, theoretically that, yeah, but the the thing people don't realize about the final four is only four teams make it. Here is another one. Once you get to the final four, it's a colossal achievement. It is. Once you, once you get there, follow me here. Got to win two more. You still have to beat two really good teams to win a national championship. Yes. Yes. Most years. Yes. That's the case. Yeah. Most years. That's the case. Most years. That's the case. It's just, it's really, really tough. So I had him at eight at nine. 
thinking uh, that maybe he was going to be able to will wade his way out of this thing. I had Sean Miller um, just because there, you know, five years ago, Sean Miller was the best coach not to make a Final Four. So I put him on the list. Sean Miller, obviously, no longer coaching college at the moment. And then number ten is the coach I was referring to before. You didn't have him on your list. Let me see if I can guess it. Okay. Matt Painter. Correct. So here's the thing with Painter. I considered him. I just, I wonder if you can ever have the roster at Purdue. Correct. I think Matt Painter is, cl- like, you tell me, you put Matt Painter at Kentucky, I'm, that's, I'm, that's I'm exactly borderline right. guaranteeing you he's winning a national championship. It is right. going to happen. Right. I the- don't know if he can get the players at Purdue, and you have to have things break your way, like... I, I get and again like I know you were joking, but I'm I'm serious about this. Like there is a difference between breaking through and you finally get to a Final Four at Purdue and breaking through and winning a national championship. Those two extra games are huge, huge mountains you have to climb. And so I don't know if Payne. The reason why I didn't put him on my list, GP, is I don't know if he's ever going to leave Purdue. And if he doesn't leave Purdue. I just I, I can't have him among the most five or six more likely, even though he is really really good. It's just the school has, that he's at. If you put him at a top ten school, then I'm then he's on my list automatically. That's you and I are in total agreement here. Um, like I I only have Hubert Davis on this list because he coaches at North Carolina. I only do not have Matt Painter on this list. And I, I please Jerry Palm, don't get mad at me, but because <laughs> he coaches he coaches at Purdue, like it's hard to to get a national championship level roster at Purdue. I think you know, Matt would probably tell you that not publicly, but like privately. And so, yeah, I don't know that he's ever leaving Purdue at this point, but yeah, if you told me Matt Painter was going to coach 10 years at Kentucky. Yeah. That then I, I'd had Matt Painter right at near the top of my list, if not at the top. Right. Yeah. He's, so he, he's, he's terrific. He's just got a job that is a very historically difficult place to try to build a national championship roster, I think. Although, watch, he'll do it next season. Maybe, but Purdue, and this we can say this for another podcast, but just generally speaking, when you consider Katie and now what Painter's done, it's it's a very good job in a very tough league, wonderful home court advantage, uh, but it's in this weird spot uh, where, you know, getting to a championship level, I, I'd, I'd be curious, uh, anyone listening that's also a huge college football fan, what you would use as the... Uh, uh, the analogy, uh, what's the parallel here for the analog, if you will, for Purdue in men in football, where you're a quality team in a quality league, but your chance is just breaking through to be a championship level kind of team. It's just, it just historically hasn't happened there. Is it, is it, is it okay? So like when you've got a great coach at this school, you can be really good but it's still going to be hard to be. I almost feel like it's almost, and I know that it's, I almost feel like it's kind of maybe Louisville in football. Maybe, um, maybe Louisville is even too good, but you know, I was thinking like Mississippi state in football. I think Purdue is better in men's basketball than Mississippi state is in football, but it's probably pretty close because like Mississippi state's what on a unquestionably bottom three job in that league. Like Purdue's not a bottom three job in the big 10. So it's just, it's yeah, Maybe there isn't a perfect comparison and analog from one to the next, but, um, Purdue fans know they got an absolutely great one, and they might have another, they might have him for another ten years. Uh, you certainly take it, but for Painter, um, I just wonder in, in his heart of hearts, like if he gets an opportunity at any kind of like top ten job, you know, he's if he wants to win a championship, he's probably got to take it. I was wondering if we could get thirty minutes out of this topic. Where are we at? Oh, we're at forty three. We're good. 
We'll pass go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Lester Medford. Legend. Shouts to Lauren now. Thank you guys for once again listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.